The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology, faster than thought possible, to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey everybody, happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Got a lot going on today. Most of you have likely been absorbed all day in the Michael Cohen hearings taking place on Capitol Hill right now. I'm not going to have a lot to say about that today. I'm going to wait and see what the backlash is from it, but it certainly has been an interesting conversation. Uh, Watching the Republicans twist all over themselves to somehow discredit him as a liar, when in reality... He's probably telling the truth for the first time in this whole process. That's just my take. Now, you can sit there and say he's lied to us once before. Why will we ever trust him again? But it certainly seems as if all we're doing right now is drawing a line between the two bases. But are we getting anything new? We'll talk a little bit about that. Also coming up on the program today, a conversation with my friend Violet from Deadline Detroit, Violet Ikonomova. She's done a new report taking a look at whether or not the city of Detroit and the Downtown Development Authority are doing an adequate job of policing development agreements, particularly when it comes to the Illich family here in the city of Detroit. What could they be doing to ensure that the companies are meeting their obligations and meeting the letter of the law and the contracts that they signed to redevelop parts of the city of Detroit? It's an important story. We'll get to that a little bit later on in the program as well. Stay with us. This is The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me on this Wednesday. And of course, while all of you are captivated by the Michael Cohen hearings today, there's actually a pretty important story that is at the top of Deadline Detroit's page today, taking a look at whether or not the Detroit Downtown Development Authority is effectively overseeing the Illich family and their developments, especially around the stadium and whether or not there is an effective way to police the activities of this organization and to whether or not they live up to their aspects of the contract that they signed and the community benefits that they agreed to in making this deal several years ago as Detroit was emerging from bankruptcy, or actually, frankly, in the middle of bankruptcy. Uh, the story, of course, was written by my uh, colleague here at Deadline Detroit, Violet Ikonomova. Uh, Violet, you, you've been looking at this story for a long time. We've been talking about this as you've been working on it. And I, and I thought it was a very important story to tell in that in some of these development deals that we see in the city of Detroit, there are all sorts of promises that are typically made for the residents uh, for what they're going to do with these projects. Getting them to comply is not always an easy thing to do. Right. No. And here, I mean, this this in the district of Detroit, people have been looking at it for a long time. I mean, in 2014, people were criticizing the deal and now things are starting to take shape. Right. So we can finally measure, hey, are these promises being fulfilled early on? They weren't being fulfilled. The hiring quotas weren't met at the arena. But now the whole ancillary development project that was key to getting these tax breaks for a stadium because stadium tax breaks are notoriously bunk. Like economists agree that they don't often produce the intended benefits. Uh, and so key 
to that was that they would revitalize the entire neighborhood between Midtown and downtown. And so now we're five years out from that agreement. So we can start to look and say, hey, what has happened here? And that's just what I did. Well, and again, this project, and it's important to point out when it first was unveiled, had all these visions of this being this this continu- contiguous neighborhood with retail, residential, commercial development uh, that was going to stretch basically between the Motor City Casino, which is owned by the Illich family as well, and Woodward Avenue. Uh, and which would, of course, include the arena and some parking structures, but the goal was to make it not be a sea of parking, which we had seen develop around some other stadium projects in the community. Uh, thus far, that vision of the neighborhood has not yet come to fruition, and there are a couple of buildings uh, that, frankly, people expected to be renovated by now, correct? Right. So we've seen them lapse on a couple of key projects. One was the Hotel Eddystone, which they... Um, the, they were required to redevelop it because they were able to blow blow up the historic structure next door. And um, I think maybe that was the site of their loading dock or something for the stadium. So it was it was an agreement reached uh, and they were supposed to have redeveloped it by 20, uh, one year after the stadium opened. So September of 2018, this building was supposed to be redeveloped. They hadn't even started redeveloping it by then. Uh, and so this is just one of many examples that I uncovered where the DDA has sort of looked the other way. So after they, there was no redevelopment going on, um, no, no penalties have been instated over that. The city threatened possible legal action. Now we're six months later and nothing has changed. They, the Illiches after the threat of possible legal action said, Hey, well, we'll put windows on this thing. They never did that. They said that they would do that in September. There are no windows on the site. Uh, and I found out from the DDA, there's no timeline even for that project to be complete. Now, that's just one of the, Then there's, of course, their global headquarters, which when you drive by it, it appears to be nearing completion. But um, there's been a hang up for several months. The free press report. Literally was, a hang up. Those <laughs> windows. Yeah, exactly. It was those pizza slice windows that were maybe vibrating too much to be put in in the winter. At any rate, there's an agreement, a contractual agreement with the DDA right now that says they are supposed to have that site developed by the end of 2018. That was not developed. So Well, and let's talk about this original deal because I think this is important. So this is back in 2014. The public was going to cover $324 million of, of the cost of, of the arena in the district here, uh, plus a $74 million reimbursement back to the Illich organization once they reached a $200 million spinoff development requirement. Now, this is where sort of the rubber meets the road in this story is whether or not they actually met that $200 million spinoff development requirement. Technically... Under the contract and the way that it was written under the previous administration, yes, they did technically do it, but they were allowed to use two parking structures to get to that $200 million, which, yes, maybe legally that does it, but it's not the public's expectation as to what they were going to deliver. And it seems to me that's where the real problem is here. Right. And and the, the agreement was written in such a vague way that there is literally just a list of about a dozen projects that... Uh, it says the DDA would find acceptable to meet this $200 million ancillary development threshold. Well, the list is numerous building rehabs, numerous new buildings, a hotel, and the Illiches have essentially cherry-picked from that list, which included a couple of parking structures. And so now $55 million of that $200 million threshold was met with parking structures, which means those parking structures are 
for better or worse, tax subsidized because they're able to draw down $74 million, which perhaps would be fine. I talked to one development expert who said parking structures are needed for future density, but what is going on now is not density. There's an, there's a total of 27 parking lots in that area. Uh, I believe three or four of them are large-scale garages. The rest are surface. Violet, I mean, one of the things that you're really looking at in the story, too, is not just about whether or not the Illiches are doing what they suggested they were going to do in exchange for these subsidies. That is a huge part of this. But it's also about whether or not there's an effective watchdog within the city government to police this and to determine whether or not they are meeting their obligations. You, you call into question whether or not the Downtown Development Authority is doing their due diligence when it comes to overseeing the Illich organization and whether or not they're meeting their promises. Uh We'll talk a little bit about their response to this story in just a little bit, but but what did you find out? And, and talk a bit about what the critics are saying about the DDA and their role here. Yeah, so I found out that the DDA has granted the Illiches a significant amount of leeway as they try to get this deal completed. And there, there's multiple reasons that this could be happening. The folks I interviewed say one is that the city doesn't the city doesn't want to see this project fall through. The mayor actually runs is the chairman of the DDA. He doesn't want to see it fall through. But then also there was kind of an I one of the folks I spoke with, um, Peter Hammer from the civil rights, uh, the Damon J. Keith Civil Rights Center, a law professor over at Wayne State University. He was saying that the DDA, because it is all mayoral appointees they're all the majority of them overwhelming majority of them are from the development community you have folks who own construction firms folks who own their own development firms um people who work in real estate financing because of the makeup of the dda it tends to be i don't want to call it a boys club because they're not all boys but these are essentially people who work in the same business and if at one point the they they were to pull you know if they were to be very strict with one of their boys, for lack of a better term, it might come back to haunt them someday. So having these private, these concentrated private interests does not bode well for the public. It's not like a city council deciding whether to oversee um, the Illiches and whether to hold them on their timeline promises and other other contractual obligations. Interestingly enough, you spoke to another person from Wayne State University, John Moak, uh, as for this story, somebody that I've known for a long time as well, uh, and says that, look, this isn't all on the Illich organization not getting their work done. There have been some complicating factors in the neighborhood that have driven up the cost of doing some of these projects, perhaps. Uh, and he, he blames, you know, he doesn't say he blames it, but he says, hey, look, Dan Gilbert's investment in the area is also a factor that we can't ignore here that's made it perhaps more difficult for them to obtain some of the parcels they need, some of the, uh, some of the financing they might need, because there's competing projects that are sucking up a lot of that revenue. Well, he, or capital, he, I should he, say. He, he thinks that maybe, so, since 20, we should probably give a little bit more context. Since 2014, the deal had, the, the plans for the District of Detroit have changed numerous times. Sure. It went from extraordinarily detailed renderings and descriptions of five different neighborhoods. Uh, the Illiches were even saying like the character of the types of people who might live in one of the neighborhoods. This neighborhood is for the artsy people. And it went from that to now there is no neighborhoods tab on their website. The spokesman for Olympia Development will not discuss the neighborhoods uh, vision. It went from that to, okay, we're going to have six major uh, residential projects. Uh, it was going to be the most residential Detroit has seen in 20 years uh, with affordable housing included. The mayor was at the press conference. That 
plans for that. That was 2017. Then those plans were dropped. Now we're seeing some of those projects shift to office. And so Moke's, Moke's belief is that the holdup is that they have to keep changing plans, he thinks, because of what Gilbert is doing. He says it's not a build, it's not a if you build so it, market, it will come So market scenario. conditions are changing exactly. and therefore they have to change their plans right. from what they originally wanted to do, which, right. which seems to make a lot of sense. But at, right. at the same time, you know, again, there's the public expectation as to what this was going to be. As market conditions change, demand for that area changes, right? We've seen the downtown develop so much since the 2014 deal was struck that if the, it, it almost suggests that the DDA could be a little harsher on them because what's what's the real consequence that we're not desperate like we were in 2014? Well, that factors into this deal. I mean, uh, you know, I know that you really attempted to talk to the DDA about this. Uh, you talked to some people on the phone. They were, were not willing to go on the record for this story. Uh, and I can verify that you attempted many, many, many <laughs> times to contact people. Uh, we both did uh, for the story to get that their point of view on the record here. Uh do you get a sense that, that they are stuck with this deal from 2014 and, and aren't real happy with it? I mean, based on some conversations, and it's going to be anecdotal, but do you get a sense that, that not everybody on that DDA board is really thrilled with, with what's going down right now? Well, that's what I, that, 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 those were the rumblings that I heard, which is what made me go on the wild goose chase of con- trying to contact every single DDA member, because I was wondering if there might be a single one of the dozen that was thinking, hey, this isn't really fair. Why are we subsidizing all these parking structures when there's no other development it's just parking lots why are we agreeing that these we we need to give these people more subsidies because part of what i found out is that the the illiches are now trying to get more tax money for a parcel that they're already contractually required to develop it was one of the uh, pieces of public land transferred to them so there's all of these different things that the dda is agreeing on in unanimous votes however sometimes with those unanimous votes some folks are out and so i was trying to call and see if there was anybody who uh had any thought if there was any tension over any of this i had heard rumblings that there was but i was never able to get it confirmed and the dda was not transparent in any way shape or form i mean at one point the spokeswoman uh we had a laugh about this here that she essentially uh told me to stop asking questions and at the end of the day this is a public this is public money this is a government body um regardless of what they're doing regardless of if they're being too lenient it's up for the public to decide. There, there should be enough information. I shouldn't have to go digging through contracts trying to interpret legalese. My questions should be answered so I can cut my time in half and get the story out quicker. Now, it is important to point out that by meeting that $200 million threshold, they are now eligible to ask for more subsidies. Have they talked about what they want to use them for and what that project is going to be and any sort of realistic timeline? Yes. So there actually is a timeline in place for this one. I believe it was going to be closed by it was going to be completed by 2019. Um, and they have been. So there there are like I believe it was like six or seven actual concrete development agreements that they've entered into with the DDA. So this last media blitz where we've heard, oh, all these new projects are coming. None of those are under only one of those is under agreement with the DDA. And it is at that one site the DMC, it's going to be a DMC medical facility slash office building sandwiched between the arena and Mike Illich School of Business. That is the site where they plan to ask for more tax breaks um, to help finance it. It's a $65 million project, which brings it just under the community benefits threshold, which is part of the problem for folks who are very angry with this project, that there has not been a level of... they, they 
while they have to engage with the community on the district deal, they do not actually take their concerns into account is the annoyance among residents. People who live in buildings that the Illiches have bought have no idea how long they're going to be able to stay there. They're on month-to-month leases. Uh, some of the buildings are being emptied by, by through attrition. Uh, and um, in the meantime, there's there's been parking issues over there. So the residents feel like they're not heard. So it is significant that this project, if they do get tax breaks, it does fall just under the $75 million community benefits threshold. Well, Violet, and and we'll sort of wrap up with this one, but, you know, there's clearly a couple of different targets uh, in this story. One is the Illiches themselves and whether or not uh, uh, the Illich companies are living up to what they suggested they were going to do, whether or not the public can trust that they are going to do what they say they're going to do going forward, should they be worthy of, of future tax subsidies. Two, whether or not the city has an effective watchdog in the DDA and what needs to change there. And and when you talk to, I guess I guess let's wrap up with this sort of question. When you look at it, are they equally at fault here? Or is one more at fault than the other? Or is this something that the city uh, can, can remedy in some capacity going forward? I would say that in my, I mean, this is just a total opinion, but I think that I think that at the end of the day, it's capitalism. Developers are going to come back to the trough as long as you keep giving them a hit. Like they are not, they're going to try to get whatever they can out of a city. So at the end of the day, it's city government's responsibility to put its foot down when things, when deadlines are being missed. Um, you know, one of the things that the contract would allow them to do is to repossess some of the ancillary properties that were transferred to the Illiches in this public land transfer. Um, you know, this legal action is a possibility to compel them to actually meet those deadlines. That's what the city tried to do in the case of the, or suggested it might do in the case of the Hotel Edistone, but never did for some reason. So um, while certain things indicate there might be a shift going on, maybe the city's starting to get annoyed of the Illiches. We still have yet to see any action taken. Well, I, I do want to wrap up with this quote that you have in the story from Arthur Jemison, who did speak to you. Arthur Jemison, who, of course, uh, is the chief of services and infrastructure in the city of Detroit, the person that oversees DEGC, at least from the city's perspective, and, and the DDA. He said, quote, the city and the DEGC have been working since before the first deadline to move this project forward, and we will continue to do so. We are working to amend the agreement and identify a path forward to a successful development. Now, there's a lot potentially written into that. Amend the agreement. Do we have any idea yet what they mean by that? I have I have no idea. And it wasn't until you framed that quote for me that I figured I should probably look into it more. So I'll probably hit them back and try to learn a little bit more about what that means. To me, though, it reads that uh, they acknowledge things are not going as planned. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up right there. Violet, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey everybody, Craig Show here. Thanks for being with me here on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Wednesday. And if you're like me, you have been glued to either your Craig Folly Show is made possible in part today, by Deadline Detroit. To Michael Cohen's One stop shopping for all your news Hill today. Also, in home front of Deadline Detroit TV, today, which includes the Zips, a weekly wrap up of the week's news with some humor before and the Congress, wise relationship advice with them in regards to the Russia investigation. And also talking about Donald Trump and his relationship with Donald Trump and some of the financial deals that he knows about with Donald Trump today. And it's been really unique to watch. It's been unusual because the Republicans on the panel are spending all their time trying to tear down Michael Cohen as a plausible witness. Easy to do, given that he has already been convicted of lying to Congress, among other things. But it is really interesting to see them go out of their way to discredit him as a potential witness. 
suggesting this is the first time something like this has ever happened, that a convicted liar or somebody who is known to be have lied to, to before to be called to testify. Uh, basically, every mob trial ever, every RICO case ever throws that notion out the window. Now, does that mean we automatically believe everything Michael Cohen says? Man, maybe not. He does have a track record of lying. I understand that. But it's interesting that the stuff that he got caught lying for before was the stuff that actually kept Donald Trump out of trouble. Now, whether or not that continues to be the case remains to be seen. The testimony so far today has not been exactly damning, uh, but it certainly does not make the president look good. He called him a racist and a con man and suggested that some of his financial dealings uh, were not above board and that he had prior knowledge of certain meetings that had to do with Russia, that he was still working on Russian projects while he was president of the United States and following up to see whether or not his investments would go through, that he actually wrote checks to pay off Stormy Daniels while he was president of the United States. Hush money payments. These are not a good look for the president no matter what. And whether you believe Michael Cohen or not, or you think he's out for revenge, or you think he's bitter that he didn't get a job within the White House, whatever, these things are serious and they need to be taken seriously. He basically has implicated the president in crimes. Now, whether or not the House does anything with this, does this become an impeachable offense? Does this give them something to go on? Does it give them some things to follow up on in other investigations? Yeah, very, very well it could. And they specifically asked for different people that they should be talking to to get more information on the things he was talking about. And he gave them some names of people that they should subpoena. And I have a feeling they will. This isn't going away anytime soon. And you can sit there and say that Michael Cohen's a liar and that anything he says should not be trusted. But guess what? That doesn't mean there are not leads to follow on this one. I'm not saying Michael Cohen's all of a sudden a good guy. He's not. He's going to jail for what he did. He did say that he made a huge mistake in giving 10 years of his life to this guy that he called a con man and a racist. And it's been amazing to watch. But the one thing that I've noticed is that it certainly seems to be coming down to whether or not you're a Trump supporter or not where you're coming down on this testimony. There are a number of people saying, you know what, I'm not going to listen to anything he says because he's just a liar and we can't trust him. We love Donald Trump and therefore anything he says bad about him is obviously a lie. But was it a lie before when he said that Donald Trump was a good guy? Was he lying about that? You don't get convicted. He said all the right things to keep Donald Trump out of trouble last time he was there. That's what he got convicted of lying about. You cannot hide yourself from that. You cannot pretend that that doesn't matter. You cannot pretend that that doesn't exist. The stuff he got caught lying about was the stuff that kept Donald Trump out of trouble. He's correcting the record now. And I'm sorry, but I'm believing him. I think he's finally telling the truth about the stuff. And we'll see where this goes. We'll see what this leads to. Is this going to get him a reduced prison sentence? No. Now, as he hinted, there are other investigations going on that he is participating in that may very well lead to a reduced sentence for him if indeed he provides some sort of relevant information that helps them determine the truth in those cases. And that could get him a reduction in his sentence. But what he's doing today at Congress, that's not going to get him jack. So just take off the partisan glasses for just a second. Listen to what the guy has to say. Decide whether he's telling the truth or whether this has anything to do or if there's anything damning here or criminal here. Yeah, just take an objective look at what he is saying and just think that maybe for the first time in a long time he's actually telling the truth about what's going on here. And he very well could be lying. You never know. But I don't see the incentive to lie anymore. He's already given up his life, three years away from his family, going to federal prison. Yeah, he may get a book deal out of this thing, but I'm sorry, there's no book deal in the world worth three years in prison. I wouldn't do it. I don't think anybody else in their right mind would, especially if you've got children and a family. To watch this so far has been really entertaining, farcical, 
silly at times, serious at times. I just know this. This is a moment in history that we are watching right now. And the fact that this is getting people's attention almost as much as a visit with the North Korean premier is remarkable. I got a real Nixon to China sort of moment here as as Watergate's just starting to fester and just starting to, to boil over. You've got a president who, of course, is trying to forge ties with the Chinese government for the first time in 20 years. And that's led to a long and fruitful relationship. Donald Trump, listening to this testimony from Michael Cohen today, this may be a short presidency. You never know. And at the same time, we could have a situation where 20 years, 30 years from now, we're looking back at our relationship with the United Korea and saying, well, at least Donald Trump got one thing right. We'll see. This is The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks for listening today. Appreciate it very much. Quick reminder, tomorrow, tomorrow on the program, we're going to be downtown at the Motor City Casino Hotel for the Detroit Regional Chamber's Detroit Policy Conference. I'll have a number of different interviews that will be airing as a part of that over the course of the next few days. I think there's going to be some lot, lots of good ideas that come out of that conference and some good conversations give us something to talk about. So I'll be conducting interviews all day tomorrow, and I'll be bringing those to you over the course of the next few days, which I always love to do. So thanks for listening. Check it out. We'll be there tomorrow. Have a lot of fun, and um, hey... Thanks for checking it out. We'll talk soon. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.